We should be under a big tent right now and getting ready for some grub. And uh, Grady, we need to get a designated clapper and just have them set aside to start for stuff like that. So that was awesome, guys. Thank you so much. Just a closer walk with thee. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. I greet you in that way because that's what we're going to talk about this morning is God's heart for his church. And uh, we're coming down the home stretch of this amazing, get a little water, passage of scripture that as Grady's led us through these past couple weeks, I don't know if you guys realize just the significance of this text. Um, if you guys will go ahead and open it up to John chapter 17 as we're going there. Just how amazing this is. It's the only place in scripture, you guys, other than the part here in a few hours, literally, as we know, this takes place at the end of the upper room experience where Jesus is with his apostles, disciples upstairs, this intimate time together. And at the end of this, Jesus begins this incredible moment with the heavenly father. And the only other time we get to see a glimpse of this is when he's in the garden and he's crying out to the Lord for strength and peace and take this cup from me. But we get to see the full intimate heart, intention, desire, and love of God in this text. And if you've never studied, if you've never really broken it down and meditated on it and really dug deep into these amazing 26 verses, I really encourage you to do that. I know Grady's done an amazing job these past few weeks taking us through. And what we're going to see today is just a culmination, just a coming down to the apex of what this prayer was all about. And truly, it is the emphasis of why he came to earth. We're about to see toward the end here the entire purpose of why Jesus came and why we're in this room. Why you're sitting in these chairs is in and through the full heart of what this prayer is all about. It is known as the high priestly prayer, as Grady has mentioned, hours before his death. And uh, it's just amazing to see what God has communicated through this dialogue between the first person of the Trinity and the second person of the Trinity. His heart to his heavenly Father. A couple weeks ago... Uh, Grady emphasized in uh, the challenge that God calls us to know him for his glory. God calls us to know him for his glory. Last week, he emphasized and encouraged us with that Jesus gives us everything we need to remain faithful in a tough world. Jesus gives us everything we need to remain faithful in a tough world. And that he gave us his word. He gave us joy. He gave us community. He gave us himself. Those are the things that Grady emphasized for us in the middle of this prayer. And now I just want to encourage us, it's kind of all coming down to a head toward these last few verses from 17 through 26. And before we read the text, I just want to encourage us with this um, truth today, just to put this before you, that God desires the church to be one, perfected in unity, so the world will see the glory of God. God desires the church to be one, perfected in unity, so the world will see the glory of God. So if you please stand with me and the honor of reading of God's word as we look at this together. And again, I hope even as we're reading this now that you just embrace and just soak in the moment that the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, is crying out these prayers in his heart to his heavenly Father as we read this text. We're going to start in verse 14, a few verses back from what Grady did last week to kind of help in context of setting the tone. So John John chapter 17, verse 14. Jesus is crying out and saying, Father, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. 
Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory with which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known you that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Pray, Lord, we thank you. I mean, just sitting here and reading this, Lord, I'm just still amazed and in awe that we get to get a glimpse into a divine conversation that you have had with the Father, that, God, you express yourself, your heart, your intentions in this prayer. And I thank you that we get a glimpse today to be encouraged, to see your heart, to see what you desire, to see what you have purposed us to be and who we are as the church. And we pray, Holy Spirit, you come as you are here to manifest your presence, your power. Teach us, reveal yourself to us, God. Make yourself known that we may be encouraged as we leave here to be salt and light and to go forth as your ambassadors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So again, God's heart here is what we're seeing and what he's expressing here. And look at verse 17 as we're going to get into this next part. What Jesus is crying out to his father, expressing his heart, saying, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Before the first part of this chapter was when Jesus was expressing his heart to keep the church, guard the church, preserve them, Lord. And now we're transitioning into a heart's desire of Jesus saying, I want you to sanctify the church. Guys, there is a process of, in, that we go through as Christians as we walk through this time with the Lord. And before we become Christians, as unbelievers, and then finally when the Holy Spirit comes in and transforms our heart and rebirth and reconciliation and redemption, we experience a biblical term, and there is what's called justification. We are justified by faith in Christ, by grace. And so once we have experienced his atoning work, we recognize that we need a Savior, that we're a sinner, that he took our place on the cross, that we are justified by faith, and we experience his presence. We then transition once we know the Lord and we're walking with him. The process now begins for our soul man to be conformed. <laughs> and our soul man is our mind, will, and emotions. And that the, the second we become a believer, the sanctification process begins. Our spirit man has been justified. Therefore, we have right standing with God in righteousness. But from this point on, what Jesus is expressing here is, Lord, my people, my disciples, my church, sanctify them in your church. And that word simply means to separate, to set apart for a holy use. Romans 8.29 says that we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And that is the sanctification process. That every day by God's grace, we'll be conformed to his work, conformed to holiness. And here's the key word and what Jesus is emphasizing here at this moment. To set my people apart, sanctify them, to set them apart for a sacred purpose. That is what that means. 
And that never ends until Jesus returns or we go home. Sanctification never stops until that moment. We are always in that process of being sanctified. And what a beautiful thing that Jesus is saying here. He's saying, Father, your word is truth. So all that you are, the revelation of God, all that you have given me to give to them, and what I've taught, what I've shared, is your word and it's truth. But what is the sacred purpose? What are we being set apart for? And I love you. brings it very clearly in verse 18. Jesus said, Father, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. It's key here. Just look at what Jesus is communicating. This is very, very important. I mean, this is almost like First Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy. We're going through this eventually. But Paul wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy on his deathbed, knowing he was about to die. And just think about the heart of Jesus here with the Father, knowing he's about to go to the cross. And what he's communicating is telling the Father, I know what you sent me for. You sent me for a sacred purpose. And in the same way, I recognize and acknowledge that I have also sent them into the world. So what is the sacred purpose that Jesus has sent us into? And I'm going to put some scripture, a little scripture medley, right, Jen? A little scripture medley. Um, go ahead and put up Luke 19, Taylor. Very familiar passage, but we, all, we need this reminder, saints. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his mission. 1 John 3. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. Can't get any black and white right there. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. So we take those two together. And Jesus just said, that's why I was sent, Father, just as you sent me, to seek and to save that which was lost and to destroy the works of the other. Those are the two sides of the same coin. Jesus came to redeem, restore, to rescue, to deliver, to bring salvation and reconciliation back to God. And by doing that, he's what? Destroying the works of the devil. Because what the devil wants to do is what? Kill, still destroy, steal, accuse, manipulate, do everything he can from Genesis 3.15 when everything started. And remember, we've mentioned this before. That's the kingdom verse, Genesis 3.15, where God told Satan, one day the seed of the woman's coming, and you're going to bruise his heel, and what is he going to do? He's going to crush your head. And from that point on, saints, from Genesis 3.15, God in his infinite providence went all through time was preparing for that work, for Jesus to come to seek and to save the lost and to destroy the works of the enemy. And Satan knew it. So I'm going to expound on this a little more. Continue on the medley, Matthew chapter 5. Good reminders of what we are called. This is what we were sent into the world to do. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 10. Jesus sent out the apostles two by two. And this is the same for us as he sent them out during that time. He said, as you go preach, declare, proclaim, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you what? We've received this, freely you give. Again, we remind us, this is what we've been sent to do. When Jesus made the statement, as you've sent me, I've also sent them. This is what we are called to do. To proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of heaven. But this is what we're also sent into by doing that. We don't like this verse. (laughs) Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. 
And so, saints, when he's saying this, this is the culmination of what we can expect. This is what we've, we're called to do. There is no op- option, right? As believers, this is what God is calling us into as a privilege, as a glorious mission. And he's expressing this here. But even as we saw that last verse, that we're being sent as wolves into the midst of wolves, a little further behind that, it says, when you go before governors, when you go before authorities, he said, you do not fear. Do not worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will what? Tell you what to say, give you unction. There's no reason to fear as the Holy Spirit will speak and will guide and direct you. And the other thing we're about to see is we don't do this alone. And this is the thrust and the heart behind the rest of this chapter. Look at verse 19. Jesus continues to say, For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Look at this declaration. Jesus is saying, As I have set them apart, to show them how, to give them the power and the ability and the, um, the mission to do so, I'm going to set myself apart. I'm going to sanctify myself. And what he's meaning here is, is sanctify, setting himself for his death. He's going to set himself apart die on the cross, be resurrected and ascend into heaven so that, look at verse 19, we may then be sanctified in truth. He knew what he had to do first so we can be set apart and sanctified to do the task before us. And that's just an incredible example for us. The high priest, this is called the high priestly prayer, we like to call it, right? But think about this verse, the high priest himself becomes the what? The sacrificial lamb. I mean, just that revelation alone and what he described here. The high priest, the one who represents us to God and God to man, steps in and becomes the actual sacrifice. And that's just an amazing fact and truth that we can cling to. And I love how he transitions here in his communication with the Father. He's talking about the apostles up to this point for the most part. Now, does it apply to us? Of course, yes. All of this is for us from the very beginning. But in the context, Jesus has been communicating about the disciples. And look what he transitions here in verse 20. Jesus says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. You can almost imagine them being around him saying, these guys. I don't ask all these things just on their behalf. But for those who would believe in me through their word. Another translation puts will in there. But for those who will believe in me through their word. And all of those who will believe say... Guys, that's us. (laughs) I mean, that's the beauty of this part. That's you and me. That that's in there. We are those who will believe. And what I love about it is he's even encouraging about the apostles. Through these men's words, through their faithfulness, through them going out and being sent and proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of Jesus Christ and who I am, people are going to come to saving faith and my church is going to be established and all those that you've given me, God, will come to fruition. They will be a part of my body. That's just awesome. So from 20 on, it's more of a dialogue now for us in the sense of this global work. And this is where my heart is more and what I want to really encourage us with today and God's heart in this. And guys, this is just amazing to even think this. After this, verse 21, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you have loved me. That they may all be one. And as many of you know, um, 
my family, this was my father's cry. This is what my dad, for the last 30-something years of his life, since we've been here in Montgomery since the 70s, has been a part of my family's DNA since as long as I can remember. This verse, the passion of this, the heart of this verse, the heart of God in this. And when he went to be in glory last year, everything that this verse in this chapter exemplified and speaks to us just came to a head even more so about what God has asked us and called us to do. So if I'm really passionate in the next 10 minutes or so, you'll know why. Because <laughs> I was raised in it. This is the heart of God. And it was everything that my father and everything that us as a family went through was to promote and to encourage and to see God's heart in this come to fruition, wherever we were. And just look at that, that they may all be one. This aspect, this oneness, united in truth, united in the authority of God's word, united in purpose for God's glory to advance the kingdom. Grady mentioned last night in the context of this that we are united to share life together, values, priorities, the heart and love for God. And what's the point of that unity? It's right here. What's the point of this oneness? So that the world may believe that you sent me. You know, I've read this hundreds of times and I always wondered, you know, why didn't Jesus say, Lord, I want them to be one to the Father so that people would believe in me, believe that I'm God, believe I'm the Savior. He didn't go there, did he? Who was he bringing glory and honor to? The Father. He went back to the heart of the Father because that's what he came for, to point people to the Father and who he was. For thousands of years, the heart of God and the Father saying, one's coming, a Messiah is coming, a Savior is coming. And everything Jesus did was to bring glory back to the Father. Look at John, uh, 1 John chapter 4. <clears throat> I thought this was an interesting verse that ties perfectly with this. This is John speaking and testifying to this. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's why Jesus said what he said in that prayer. He said, I want the world, when they see my church, when they see my people, that they recognize and testify to the fact that the truth that was started back here thousands of years ago happened. It's true. The reality has come that the Father has sent the Son to redeem and to save us. I always wonder why he prayed it that way, but that's the reason, to bring that reality to pass. And then he expresses in this that the glory which you have given me, I have given to them... And here are the most amazing ten words, I think, in Scripture from my New American Standard translation. Guys, this is unbelievable. That they may be one just as we are one. You guys grasp the weight of that? How amazing that is. Who said this? Who said this? Therefore, it is what? True. Therefore, it can be true. Because when I read that first off, I'm going, oh, come on. Lord, come on, really? I mean, you are actually trying to pattern and encourage and say that we as the church can be one and in unity than the Godhead? I mean, let that soak in a second. But he said it. That's his prayer to the Father. Therefore, knowing it can be a reality. If we embrace and see and know what this means. First time I studied this, the, I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or not, I... It fits very well, and I thought it was kind of cool. But it took me to the word fusion. A kingdom supernatural fusion. The word fusion means a merging of diverse, distinct, or separate elements into a unified whole. I just think that is so good. That is it. That is what that verse has called us to as the church. As a kingdom fusion of saying, here we are as the body of Christ, all these different elements, different backgrounds, different cultures, multi, 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 
to be called into this unified whole to represent and to be who we've been called to be as the church. The ESV Study Bible had this great little excerpt at the end. It said, The glory of Christ's manifestation of the Father unifies all believers into a brotherhood which should be as inseparable as the Godhead. Jesus pointed to the unity of the triune God as the pattern for his church. Guys, that's amazing, but it's true. And we have to start looking through the eyes of a little bit more faith. No, we can believe this. We can live this. We can represent this as amazing as it sounds. We're like, how can we do this as humans? But Jesus made it very clear. Verse 23 again, I in them, look how he's thinking this. I am in them and you are in me that they may be perfected, complete in unity. Here's the so that again. For the purpose of that the world may know that you sent me. And look what he adds on to this one. I love it. Not only that you sent me and all that you said is true, but they would also know that you loved them as you have loved me. Whew. Think about that aspect of relationship. Now he brings in a relational tie to this. You guys are going to represent in the church, we are going to show the world through unity, through a completeness and coming together, the supernatural divine love in the Godhead. How the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Father loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves... Do y'all see that? I mean, it's mind-boggling what we've been called to, and it's incredible that we have been called as the body of Christ, as the church, to display a supernatural love that is in the triune God. Another wow factor. Perfected in unity. F.F. Bruce, the theologian, thank God for all of Grady's commentaries, <laughs> gives me some good ones to pull some quotes from. He, Bruce says, This unity has its root within the soul, but it is manifested in an outward action. Otherwise, the world cannot see it and be convinced by its witness to the divine revelation in Christ. It is no invisible unity that is prayed for here. This is something that is to be on display and evident and clearly, clearly seen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring us to the end of the prayer and then I'm reverting back because my real heart, you haven't seen it yet. It's coming. This is just build up. So we're going to finish out the prayer and hear God's heart and then revert back. So let's look at verse 24 and look how the Lord transitions out of this unity thing. Now Jesus is expressing, we've seen, we've seen preservation. We're now seeing sanctification that we're set apart for a purpose to be salt and light and to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel. And now Jesus transitioned to a time of saying, Father, I can't wait to experience them in glorification. Right? Because this isn't it, guys. There's a next phase in our justification and sanctification, and it's called glorification. And my dad's experiencing it right now, and many of your loved ones are. And it's a beautiful thing, and it's going to, they're only experiencing it in part right now. Verse 24, Jesus cries out, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known you that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. And what he's saying in verse 26 is, I'm about to make it known. This knowledge, this love, what, what I want them to experience in the fullness. Because where is he speaking? He's hours from his death. So he says, I'm about to show them the fullest measure of this love. 
and what this kingdom life is all about. When I go to the cross and I die for them, I'm about to express and show them. And to what end is, verse 24, here's Jesus saying, Oh, Father, one day I can't wait. They're going to see the fullness of my glory. When I return, when we spend eternity together, they're going to see my splendor and my glory and the revelation of who we are as God forever. So what he's saying there, I want them to be with me. Do you sense this long? I mean, literally, this is the part we see Jesus have this longing heart to relate with us for eternity, that he gets to be with us and that he gets to receive the reward of his suffering. So how do we get there? How do we do this together? And this is what I want to encourage us with. And it's back to the heart of what I've lived with and what my dad has promoted and been around for years. And that is the sake of unity, this aspect of God's heart that we be one as they are one. So I just, this is a friendly reminder. It's going to be passionate. But saints, what Grady mentioned last week is right on. This unity, this community, this oneness has to start in this room. But guess what? It doesn't end in this room. This room is just the beginning. If what Jesus is talking about here is strictly for inside these walls, what's the point? There is no evangelism there. There's no gospel taken there. There's no sentness. What Jesus is talking about here and the reminder that we have said many times from this pulpit is that there is one church. Amen? That deserves an amen. One church. We are one small congregation in this city of hundreds of the one church. There's one church in Montgomery, one church in Alabama, one church in the United States of America, one church in North America, one church on this planet. And guys, many of us don't even, aren't even raised with that mindset, don't even think that way. We have to think that way. Why? God does. What we just read is God's heart in this, that we see and experience each other on this earth as the body of Christ, as the one church. And we, to see it that way, to have lenses, to have that kingdom view will change things. It will allow this sentness, this mission that we've been called to, to be effective for the kingdom, to reach people with the gospel as we should. And it would also encourage us. Some of the greatest moments in my life, most intimate times, seeing the Lord work outside of being married to that beautiful woman and having my precious kids born. There is nothing on the planet that I've enjoyed more or experienced the glory of God than when the body of Christ gets together. Not as a denomination, not as a Southern Baptist, but as the church. And guys, if you haven't experienced that, come talk to me. And you're about to have, I'm going to put up here an opportunity to experience that. And in my opinion, to help relaunch a time frame in this city's history and what God wants to do in this city and state, and I believe globally that we get to be a part of in Montgomery. Because it's the heart of God. Please hear me. Everything that's coming out of my mouth is that's CJ's opinion. I'm passionate because it's God's heart. It's God's opinion. It's what he desires. And I'm encouraging and praying that you have eyes to see it. That we no longer live just within our little denominational bubbles. But we realize we are one church. We are part of the body of Christ. And there's beauty there. I want to read this from John Reese. Are you in here? He had to go. There he is. Scottish preacher, my brother. Church of Scotland. We have a little, we like that. Pastor Scott, Pastor Eric Alexander said this. Man, listen, this is so good. Pastor Alexander said, The most significant thing happening in history is the calling, redeeming, and perfecting of the people of God. God is building the church of Jesus Christ. The rest of history is simply a stage God erects for that purpose. 
He is calling out a people. He is perfecting them. He's changing them. History's great climax comes when God brings down the curtain on this bankrupt world and the Lord Jesus Christ arrives in his infinite glory. And the rest of history is simply the scaffolding for that real work. In one of his last trips to London, Pastor Alexander went to the Westminster Abbey, the big church in London. And he said there was scaffolding covering all around it. They were cleaning it. They were beautifying the church. And he said, he noted, one could not see its beauty, its true beauty. But one was aware that something of great significance was happening behind the scaffolding. Something of majestic beauty was to be revealed. And he said, drawing upon that image, he applied that image. The Lord gave him to us and the church. He says, there will come a day when God will pull down the scaffolding of world history. Do you know what he will be pointing to when he says to the whole of creation, there is my masterpiece. You are his masterpiece. He will be pointing to the church of Jesus Christ. In the forefront of it all will be the Lord Jesus himself who will come and say, here am I and the children you have given me perfected in the beauty of holiness. Guys, receive that. We in this room are his masterpiece, his church, his bride, his body. And we need to see ourselves rightly. There's nothing wrong with denominationalism. God did that. He allowed it for a reason. I think he allowed it so we would look around and go, you know what? We do need each other. Unity is more evident and seen even in our nation today when multiple denominations get together because we can set aside some of our what? Petty little differences and look to what? The cross and look to Jesus as we should. If you'll put up the slide, we have an amazing opportunity, guys, in a few weeks. And the leadership knows about this and I am just very, very, very excited and I may get emotional, but to me it's one year late because, uh, there's a man who would have loved to have been there. But um, some men got together, and God started speaking. And uh, Easter night at Riverwalk Stadium. This is, this is history, you guys. I've been in the city since 1977, and there's never been an event like this, ever. In the history of this city, we've had marches, we've had rallies, we've had things where people have marched for everything under the sun, and good things, rightly so. But we get to make history on April 1st. Seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm being this serious and passionate about it because I believe, as praying with this is a hinge of history for Montgomery. Something can happen on this day and this night that's never been in this city before. And it's a simple, it's a simple gathering to worship God. But it's citywide. It's region-wide. And it's to come together from 5 p.m. to 6.15 under one banner and only one name. And that's Jesus. And we've had little things here and there, but I'm excited because I really believe this can be a launching pad for things we've attempted in the past and attempted at different times. But with the amount of men and women in churches, right now there's 70-something churches absolutely committed to this event. And granted, Riverwalk only holds about, what, seven, 8,000 at that? Which I would be amazed to see standing room on. But we're going to get together as the body of Christ, as the one church, to worship to declare, to read scripture. There's not going to be a sermon. It's not going to be a teaching. Anyone that comes down to say anything is just going to be their first name because there's, there's only one church there. There's no reason to say I'm with so-and-so or this denomination because that's irrelevant. <laughs> there's only one church. And we're there as the body of Christ to lift up the name of Jesus 
and to worship him and glorify him because he's worthy of it. And so it's spreading around the river region, and our leadership, we're very excited to be a part. On Easter evening, on the day of our resurrection, we celebrate of our Lord to be a part of this event. And I just cry out and ask you to please prioritize it. I do. I mean, as small as we are in our few little hundreds, what an impact to come together as the body. Because I look around here, and guys, this is heaven. I just love what God is doing here. Multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi... We're all from different denominations. We're not all Southern Baptists. <laughs> That's okay. I'm not Southern Baptist. Did I hear that? I'm associate pastor of a Southern Baptist church, and I'm a Southern Baptist. I wasn't raised in this. I'm associate pastor of a Southern Baptist church because God has ordained that, and I love it. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else that he returns or I die than right here. If he leads me elsewhere, praise the Lord. But I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm your brother in Christ. And God has led us to be a part of this denomination on this campus for his glory and purposes, and praise God for it. But there's a bigger family here. And I want us as gateway to acknowledge that and recognize that and be a church that promotes that and demonstrates that outside these walls. If we don't take that outside these walls, what's the point? We need to connect. As y'all, you know, everyone in here knows someone from a different denomination or another church. And I'm encouraging you to proactively cultivate that relationship. That you go out of your way to have dinner, to meet, to try to be together. Ashley and I stood right over here. Last Wednesday, John 17, met here for the first time, a ministry my dad started to bring pastors together to pray from every walk of life, denomination, color, creed, doesn't matter, to lift up one name, and that's Jesus. And we did it right here this past Sunday, Wednesday. And it was amazing. And I get emotional every time because my dad normally sits there in the front, and now I have the privilege to do that. But guys, this is what the church is about. Ashley was in here and out. I mean, there's nothing like it different colors and creeds and there's no label but our name and Jesus I'm CJ son of God and we pray for the city and we pray for you we pray for each other that God would move on behalf of his church so that people would know Christ and that's what it's for and we sat right there Ashley and I talked to two Church of Christ guys who are excited to possibly come to our night of praise in the spring did y'all hear what I said Church of Christ they're a little on the conservative side which is good they're like our brothers at Landmark but, you know, acapella, that they have, we have instruments. They don't, but they do. Well, God is moving. And then they invited us. They're starting a, a worship thing once a month. They said, please, tell all of you guys to come join us. We would love to do it as the body of Christ. They get it. And most of the time, the Church of Christ don't. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. But they get it. And we sat there, the four of us, as one church, brothers and sisters in Christ, going, Let's be together. Let's share community. Let's worship the Lord together, whether it's acapella with instruments or not but as the one body, as the one church. And that was powerful. That was more impacting than what we even did just in praying. And so I want to encourage you guys as gateway people, as, our, as one shepherd, and you be, that we ask God to help us cultivate unity in the body beyond these walls. It has to start here. Give me everything we've been teaching is right on. We need community. We need you to connect. We want you to be part of these amazing life groups that God's moving and doing. Sunday school class this morning with us was amazing. God showed up. He's speaking. He's moving. He's teaching us. But it can't stay here. We've got to get out. And when we get out and we connect and we proactively look for others to build community with in the body of Christ, guess what? The world will take notice. The unbelievers will take notice. And as Jesus said here, that's the whole point. That we have been sent to be vessels of light, vessels of salt, to be ambassadors for him so that people will come to saving faith. So I just want to encourage you, please talk to me about, there's a, 
uh, prayer time for the next 20-something days on starting on March 6th, a prayer and fasting time before this. I got a vision as we were praying the other day, just a little thing in my head as we were praying downtown, and the guy said, I just envisioned packed stadium, everything but you can think of, and just and we're inviting unbelievers to come to this. That's why you two have you reason that's so important is I just envision a, an unbeliever walking around that corner of Biscuit Stadium like you've all been, and sees all the stands filled, seeing every color, every creed, every age group, gender, everything. And they look around the corner and God shows them and says, There's my church. There's what heaven's gonna be like. There's what I've established for you to experience. That's what I came for. And God shows up, and people can come to saving faith just by showing up at a church service where the church comes together to lift up one name. Guys, we should have those kind of expectations now. God is moving and doing something among us. Revival and harvest with Billy Graham going home. Things are stirring. Even with him going home, guess what? Jesus got a lot of pub this week. Did he not? Come on, I'm serious. That's the reality we live in. Praise God for social media. The Lord took one of our glorious veterans home, one of our wonderful men of faith home, and Jesus started getting a lot of pub. And that's the point. When Carmen Falcioni went home on May 19th, Jesus got a lot of pub that next week through this church and thousands of others. That's what we're here for. So I want to encourage you. Ask the Holy Spirit, God, help me. If I have never even thought about it, how can I cultivate unity and oneness in the body of Christ so that the world may know that Jesus is who he says he is. And we've been called to that. More than anything else tonight, I want you to grasp that mission, that call to see rightly. I have been around hundreds of friends of mine, Christian brothers and sisters, who have never grasped that. They think this oneness has to do for their denomination, and that's it. And they don't want to do with anybody else. That is not biblical. It's not the Lord. God's heart is for us to be one body and to do what we can to display that and cultivate that in our relationships. Amen? If you please stand, we're going to declare this together. Apologize for going long, but that's all right. I'm not here that much. <laughs> Grady can make it up for next time. I always love declarative scripts, us to declare something together. And the Holy Spirit gave me this one just for us as a body, as one, to declare this truth. And every time we get to the word one, I want you to emphasize it. Because, guys, we come from a God who is one, and he has brought us as the church to be one. That's an important word biblically. So I want us to declare this before we worship the Lord in the end. Let's say this together. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. God, we thank you for this declaration. We thank you that this is your heart. This is none of our opinions. This is who you are in your essence, in your being, that we are called to be one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And I pray we get that today. We catch it. We embrace it. We live it. And I pray whatever struggles we have with that, with our own pride or our own you know, personalities or not wanting to reach out or be a part of something, whatever it is, God, just deal with it. We're open to that. But I pray we catch your heart, your desire for us to be one so that the world may know that the Father has sent you and that you are who you say you are, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that we can rest in that and that we are called on this mission as the body of Christ to be your salt, to be your light, to be that beauty, that masterpiece that one day, above all other creation, when you return, 
You are coming for your bride. You're not coming for your trees and the ocean and the grass and the animals. When you return, you're coming for your bride. You're coming for us. And I pray we live that way, recognizing that's who we are in you, as your church, as your bride, the one that you're coming back to redeem and restore for glory's sake, for eternity. May we live our lives that way in Jesus' name.